0: What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to sensorina.com to check it all out.
1: On today's podcast, bring on Marty St. Louis, true legend of the game and absolutely phenomenal coach. Uh, This one is a podcast for the ages. Super excited. Dan, what'd you take away?
2: Yeah. Well, Greg, it was an honor to have someone like Marty on. Um, One thing that I took away off of hockey was just, you know, it it seemed like we were just at a ring shooting the breeze with somebody just like a hockey dad. And you would never know, you know, that, that to me was really impressive. He was just like a, easy guy to talk with um all the more impressive just given his career and his stature in the game but i mean we dug into a lot in this podcast um i I really enjoyed his definition of chemistry i thought that was really insightful we talked a lot about playing in between checks um which i think is a great strategy that probably isn't talked about enough at the higher even the higher levels but certainly at like the youth and and whatever lower levels
1: um there was just a lot to take away from this episode how about you yeah it's a lot of stuff that we've talked about especially on our newsletter being able to value taking in information and um, being able to play and dictate not just let the game and read and react but really play he called it play in the future Uh, I call it dictating the play really and setting yourself up for success so when you do get that puck you're able to already be between checks you're creating confusion all all this stuff so I there's this and then more on the podcast, and there's no way we're going to get it to it in the uh, preview here, but super excited to, to bring on Marty and share this with everyone.
2: Without further ado, our podcast interview with Martin St. Louis.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Marty St. Louis. Glad to have you on. I know you've been doing a lot of coaching, and uh, it's probably been an interesting time with COVID, but glad to have you sit down for an hour with us.
3: Yeah, no problem, guys. Thank you.
1: So just uh, obviously, we know your background playing, illustrious career, but you've, you've really dove into the coaching side of it. Kind of curious, what does retirement look like for you and, and just coaching your own kids now? I know your, your oldest is at the U.S. National Development Program, so that's got to be cool for you, but also a little bit of rivalry playing for Canada.
3: Yeah, no, uh, for sure. My, my boys uh, grew up in the uh, you know, United States. I mean, I've been living in the United States since I was a freshman at UVM. Um, I actually got my citizenship four years ago uh my kids are dual as well and but uh you know i think they identify that identify themselves as american i'm definitely canadian uh but um i'm glad that uh, you know the resources with usa hockey and that program uh that that national team development program has been a great uh, platform for uh, my oldest to actually keep working on this game uh but um you know yeah i dove right into coaching after i uh it was a big reason why i want to get out i mean i was 40 years old i felt like i'd I've done enough, you know, it gets to a point like, what are you chasing? Uh, I was healthy. I made enough money. And and my kids were just at an age where I felt I was missing out on everything. You know, my oldest was like 11 turning 12 and, you know, nine or 10 and then six, seven years old. And I just was missing all the practices, all the weekend games. So I felt it was time. And honestly, going into coaching was a pretty easy transition for me. I felt, you know, probably once I got into my early thirties, um, you know, the game was getting younger and younger. Um, and so you had a lot of young guys coming in. And uh, I felt I did a lot of coaching as a player you know, trying to help the young guys, uh, not just to be skilled, but also think the game. And I felt that was probably my biggest asset is, is, is how I thought the game. And I was able to communicate that with some of my young teammates. And obviously, as a youth hockey coach, try to really bring that uh, element of, of, of just thinking the game.
2: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So I'm curious, I mean, you were only in Columbus for a little bit as the consultant on the power play, but I I feel like as the resident Columbus native, I have to ask, like, what was that like? And, you know, that was almost like a transition between, I I think you had already started coaching at that point, but what was it like coaching uh, pros and your kids at the same time?
3: Yeah, no, I was, it was a couple of years ago. I had been retired for three years and I actually have a great relationship with torts and he had just called me. Uh, I was actually coming, uh, home from a holiday, a ski vacation up in Vermont and I was driving home and, you know, uh, my seat, John Tortorella name come across my phone and I'm like, Oh, that should be fine. This should be filled my drive a little bit, you know, cause I hate driving. So I, I do a lot of my phone calls and I call my car, my office. That's why I do most of my phone calls. And, uh, So I chatted with Torts, he he wanted some uh, help with the power play. He knows my situation with my kids. He doesn't want to pull me away from that. He was asking me to take a look, watch their games, and give them feedback. And it just kind of transitioned into being a consultant and going there every two, three weeks for a couple days. Uh, Still would do a lot of phone calls and conversation after games and, you know, what I saw. And uh, I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed going in there, getting back into an NHL dressing room, working with the... you know, young, young players, I guess, um, uh, you know, compared to me, it was honestly, it was very, is very similar The stuff that I was trying to implement with Columbus. This is stuff that I talked with my own, you know, youth players all the time. And, uh, I enjoyed the experience. They wanted somebody full time. I couldn't give them that. And, uh, uh, and Torch knew that, but it was, uh, it was fun. I learned a lot just from being, a in the trenches uh, while, it, when I was there, it was, it was a lot of fun.
1: Are you able to give us any ideas of, of what you're utilizing? Maybe not with the CBJ giving around, giving away their secrets, but maybe just some things you could do with your kids and just some examples specifically.
3: Well, I think to me, the, the five on five and five on four, the biggest thing, the best player in the game are able to uh, really understand that you have to play in between coverage. Uh, too many people play in coverage. They, they turn everything into a one-on-one guys. Don't start playing until the puck hits their stick. So when, when you don't uh, have the puck, where do you go? Well, to me is you have to go in between coverage. And if you have a power play that you have guys in between coverage, and if you, you know, the, the tendencies of, of the power play now, it's a one, three, one, um, And if you look at it, everybody's trying to get in between coverage and the teams that do it the best are probably able to execute more shots and more shots, probably more scoring chance, more chaos, more second, third opportunities. Uh, Because to me, a power play should be, you know, three, four pass shot, retrieve, do it again. But when you're playing in coverage, um, you know, you're going to have probably have to make six, seven, eight, nine passes. And, yeah, you might have possession but you're not generating enough opportunities and chaos and retrieval. And, and it's not just, you know, the, the guys on the ice, the, the most important guys on the ice are the guys without the puck, not the guy with the puck, uh, especially in today's game. It's, there's not much uh, not many guys that can take people one-on-one. And the, 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 the video and the focus on, on, on uh, 200-foot hockey, uh, you get squeezed pretty quick. Uh, so you have to be able to control your speed, and find a way, you know, to use your edges and try to stay in between coverage and not expose the puck as much. And, but, you know, while that guy, while the puck carrier is doing that, everybody else has to cover ice and try to get in between coverage.
1: That's awesome stuff. How did, who keyed you into that? Is it come from your father, your upbringing? Uh, Did you pick it up later in your life or is it just intuitive for you?
3: No, I mean, I think you, I was a student of the game. Like I, I just, you know, every game I came home and or hotels. If I was on the road, I, I was I would watch my shifts uh, before I went to sleep. You know, and I mean, you're talking in the, in the days where you had DVDs, right? And after every game, I had a DVD stuff in my uh, my suit jacket, uh, so I knew when I walked out of the rink, I had it. You know, and I had my, my DVD player with me on the road all the time, or at home, I put it on my bedroom TV. Wife would be sleeping, and I'd be watching my shift on mute. And uh, so, I just think I constantly. Uh, was looking for an edge and learning from not just uh, uh, video but watching other great players in the league when you play against them what they do how they do it and, and really try to be a sponge and absorb and trying to apply it to your game and I feel like one of my biggest asset is I was really good at getting better uh, I wasn't necessarily the the fastest, the strongest, you know, the, the best hands, the best shot. I was pretty good at those things, but what I was elite at is that getting better and not, 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 that wasn't just physically. I think it was just mentally how to read the game. And I, I got, I came across out of modes too. in a few years in Tampa, you know, it's the first time that I had somebody that kind of played close enough to my era and similar style in terms of playmaking ability and we could, I could really, I love talking hockey with uh, O.C. and uh, really uh, uh, even open my eyes on other things. And 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 I tried to absorb that and, and go apply it.
2: You mentioned offline before this chat that you define chemistry as playing in the future. And I was hoping we could dive into a little bit now that we're live. What what does that mean exactly? And also, like, what type of player did you find? you found the most success to play with? Like, was there a type of, like a profile that, you know, was like the type of player that allowed you to succeed the most? Or I know you've talked a lot about how you, you've become adaptable and that was a, a huge part of your game. But was there ever like one type of player that really stood out for you?
3: Well, I mean, I, listen, I played with some great sentiments in Tampa. You know, Brad Richards, Vinny Lecavalier, Stephen Stamkos, they all had different games. There was different. We're, we're, I was successful with all three. it was different hockey it wasn't the same like with Richie it was a lot of 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 chess you know it was like moving stuff around to to set up that one move with Vinny it was checker It was giving go quick 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 you know and and with Stammer it was probably a combination of both because it was the first time I had a righty uh, playing with me you know and I felt like I, I played the off wing so I never liked playing with having three lefties up front because I always felt we would only be dangerous from one side of the ice, you know, because if we're on the right side, we had no one timers. If somebody was in the the slot, he was in the one timer position on the right side, on the left side, we were fine, but rolling out of the corner on the left side, on your back end, hitting the hole, it's not as easy as rolling out on your forehand. So with Stammer, it was great having him as a righty because we'd be uh, uh, dangerous from both sides. But the guys that, you know, honestly, I've had success with other guys. But for me, the reason why we're able to be successful, it was constantly communicating, coming off the ice or watching video together and really trying to get in each other's brain. I need to know what he's thinking on certain plays. And it's not about agreeing on things and understanding how he's processing it. Because if I can understand what he's thinking, I can predict where he's probably going to be and how he's going to act. And if I can predict... I can probably make the best play. And there's a big difference between making a play and making the best play. And sometimes the best play takes another it, you gotta let it evolve. You know, that's a little bit of chess, right? You gotta let it evolve to finding the best play. Some a couple things have to move before you get to the best play. But to me chemistry is about understanding each other's game and playing in the future. Is baiting guys in knowing what's going to happen, where he's going to go. And then as soon as it's there, it's it's already processed and it happens. It's not like, where is he? Where is he? Because if you play that, that's playing in the present. And when you play in the present, you're behind. you got to play in the future. And the best players do that. But best players understand. They collect so much information. They know where everybody is. They know at what pace they're going at. They know if they're fresh, tired. They know if they're righty, lefty of their teams, but they also know where everybody on the other team is most likely to be at that time with how much pace too. So there's so much calculation that the best players do in process that they're able to execute not just a play is more than none, the best play.
1: So when you're talking about the best play, is it the play that you're setting up for your teammate or is it a certain area of the ice that you're looking for, you're like I know that Daryl Belfry's talked about Patrick Kane's always looking far side because he thinks that's a very dangerous area of the ice. How do you kind of process what's yeah. the best versus well, the actual? Play? I'll give
3: you an example. Like, there's a lot of you know, it's all about offensive zones about spreading the puck right, low to high, you know, and like D to D, like you know. So I find some time where some players that are in space they go low to high too quick which is not a bad play to go low to high, especially if the guy up top is in one-timer position, you know, he can bomb it. But what if you take one stride, open the hip and sell the sell what's in the high slot? Take a look at that. That should be your first look. You know, that should be your first look. You can't go low to high in space without processing the high slot. Cause that's going to be open. The middle of the ice is open very short amount of time. So as you turn up into a puck in the corner, do you already feel there's somebody there? Is he a righty or lefty? Because if he's a righty and I'm turning in the right corner, that's definitely going to be my first look and quick because that's a one-timer and that's a scoring chance. So you need to process the scoring chance before processing just a play. You know, going low to high to me is just a play. It's Is it the best play? Sometime, but the best play has to get processed before. And to me, the, the first look should be high slot. I asked for my players to really scout the ice from the middle out, not just out right away. You know, Same thing at D-to-D, like on a breakout pass. The D-to-D, if your first look is up the wall, yeah, that could be a good play, but was there a better play? Was there like all the way up the middle or all the way across with speed? Nobody's going to say that's a bad play to go up the wall, especially if the guy's open, but does he have speed? If he has no speed, that's not a that, that's not a great play. It's a good play. Hopefully, he's got support. But what if the speed up the middle and far side was open and you never looked at it?
2: Okay, I'm fascinated on the off wing discussion. That's something that I've done some research on. I presented on it last year at an analytics conference. Like I'm all about off wing. I'm curious. This is kind of a two parter. You, did you play your entire career like dating back to Vermont on your off wing, or was that something that happened yeah. later in your career? And then I guess the second part is now that you're on the other side of things, coaching, like, do you encourage your kids and your players to play the off wing? Um, Do you see any downside in, like, the defensive, the perceived defensive uh, limitations that come along with it? Or or are you, like, all in on it? I'm all in on it. I'm just curious, like, what you think.
3: I started playing right wing when I was a kid because we had no righties on the team. And I just, I mean, I was young. And, you know, but now that I'm coaching youth, and I honestly, I probably only play right wing. I'm coaching youth, and you, you got to be versatile. You can't just be pigeonholed in just the right wing. You know, you got to be able to play the strong side, the offside. You should know what it feels to be a centerman as well. You'll probably be a better winger after you play a few, few games at center I understand, you know, uh, the routes that you have to take as a center. So when you become a winger, you understand where most likely you can put the puck for them. But I find playing the off wing is an advantage – On breakouts, the the puck is not exposed. Your head is not as exposed. Uh, You can actually use the width of the ice better because you're on your, you know, if you can protect the puck, like if you collect on a breakout, whether it's a ram or a tape to tape. And the way the team plays right now, there's, you know, people in your face. There's a lot of back pressure, and and you gotta, you gotta use the width of the ice. And it's a lot easier on my collecting a puck on my forehand, shielding and firing a bomb across the middle on my forehand, or just tap it back to my D. You know, if I'm, if I'm in my D zone and I'm, I'm fronting a puck at the point and the D wants to take me wide, you know, I know in the middle of the ice, I'm probably going to have a little help with my other winger. But if he's going to fake me and go wide on me, I being a lefty on the right side, having one hand on my stick is longer and I can actually like poke pucks more if he's taking me to the outside. I can go stick on puck a lot easier. And obviously cutting across the middle at the blue line, it's, uh, you're on your forehand. And if you most likely you're going to retrieve puck in the right corner as a right wing in the offensive zone on dumps or whatever, it's a lot easier to turn up on your forehand, go low to high than on your backhand. I mean, I think the, the best player in the world, they don't really care as much, but probability is probably more success, successful to, to execute that play you know, coming down the right side in the two-on-one, you're on a one-timer, you know? And so, I mean, for me, I, I totally think it's a huge advantage. Um, I like my Ds to be on their strong side and my wingers to be on on their off wings.
1: So going more into your coaching, um, what what are the areas that you're really emphasizing with, with your young players? Uh, I know every coach has a little bit different area, so I'm curious what yours is.
3: I mean, you still, I mean, it depends what age, you know, but, you know, you, you got to make sure that the, especially the kid, the young age, they're still in that, you know, skill acquisition and speed development. You got it. You, you got to check those boxes. I try to create a lot of conflicts and games and short ice and small ice area and decision making. I have kids that are much faster than others, and I'm trying to handicap them by shrinking the ice. So they can't just get away. They got to use their hands. They got to use their brains. And trying to create game to emphasize decision making, not just uh, possessing and and, and doing on on their own. Uh, And and as they get older, so I have a 15, I have a U15 team and, you know, I, a lot of these kids do privates, you know, a lot of these kids do their skills at home or whatever, I I don't focus as much on the skill part at that age, I focus a lot on on the competing and the, um, the decision making and a lot of the decision making is, is, is done in, in short ice games, small ice, small area games with some, uh, you know, some rules and, and conflict and, and, and uh, you know, confusion sometime where they need to, you know, process it. You know, there's times I'll play, I won't split the guys in two colors. They'll just be random. They got to figure out who's on their team. And that's really challenging. Because you you, you, you got to stick handle you you got to protect and still look over your shoulder you can't just identify a color you actually have to identify you know you know not everybody looks the same on the ice just maybe a, his stride or his stick or his is is you know the way he looks on the ice and you have to remember maybe that okay I have a blue and a red on my team so you know you you got to look for that and it's just a lot of confusion but you're trying to make it harder for them uh, so that when they actually are in a, in a, in a, in a game, it should be easier to process it.
2: Right. We did something kind of like that last year. We put like a uh, lime green and pink tape on like a part of their stick. And that was, the you know, everyone wore black jerseys and it was super successful. I love that idea. I'm curious if you've had anything that's surprised or impressed you about the state of youth hockey just at large today.
3: I mean, I just think the speed, the skill level of, of, of the, the players, the youth players, is just amazing. You know, and I think as coaches, we got to be careful and just falling in love with that. Uh, you, you have to appreciate the kids that are, uh, think the game, have a good computer, and, and they might not be uh, as impactful at 10, but you know, with the computer is there. And you just got to be patient with their, you know, their growth. You know, the not everybody is strong at 10 or big at 10 or 12, whatever it is. So I think as coaches, you, you got to be careful of what you, you value. And those guys that are big and strong, you have to handicap them. You know, you can't just let them solve the problem with, you know, physical ability. You know, so that's why. It's important to really shrink the ice at a young age and create conflict, not just skate away from conflict. They got to think their way through a conflict. And But, I mean, the kids are so skilled. But like I said, I think we have to make sure that we're still valuing decision-making because at the end of the day, whether they play D1, NHL, like everybody's going to be fast. Everybody's going to shoot hard. It's really who can think it better, you know, that's going to, I think, separate you. Obviously, the compete level is very important. Uh, You know, it's competing is more than working hard. You can sweat when you work hard, but competing is a whole new level, all other level than than working hard. And, you know, those are the two most important things for me is the compete and the computer. And I think the rest of the stuff kind of comes together eventually. You just, as coaches, I really – you got to be careful on what you value.
1: Yeah. And that's a lot of what we've been talking about with our newsletter and podcast here is, is really getting at the computer and the brain and how they process because there's the hardware, the physical tools they have and then there's the software of like how the wiring's done, how the programming is in there. So we like to use video a ton. I'm assuming you do as well, but there's so many ways to go about breaking down video with players of like don't do this, love this, praising. What are the ways that kind of you've used video with your team, obviously use it during your careers, DVDs and, and later on much better technology. But nowadays we have so much access and every team has access. Every player has access. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are the areas for you that you're keying in on and talking about and going through?
3: Yeah, for me, it's, you know, when I do video, mostly it's like, it's about the guys without the puck where they go. Um, also, what I focus on with the guys with the puck is, is speed control. Like a lot of kids that are fast, they skate really hard, really fast into a dead end. Then they get stuck. And instead of just controlling their speed based on what they read there, is there people coming with them? Um, is there a good gap? Is there a bad gap? Cause if you're going to get around somebody, yeah, absolutely. Like turn on the jets. But if there's, if they have a, they have a bad gap, like the ice is in front of them. So the faster you get to that ice in front of them, the less time you're going to have to react. So you probably want to just push them back a little bit, cut across and invite your second, third wave coming in with you. You know, one of the things too that as they get older is I find I'll send clips and I won't even, I'll, I'll, I'll ask them to text me back. What's wrong on that clip? I don't, I'd like to, them to search for the answer uh, instead of just me giving them the answer then you create them, they're trying to solve the problem. And, you know, they're probably l- looking at different things on the video, not not just themselves. Sometimes it's not even them on the video. Uh, I'll send individual video, I'll send team video. But sometimes I'll, I'll send video for them to actually I want the you give me the answer. I'm not giving you the answer. I want to know what you think, you know, and, and, and then you create a you create a dialogue and a, a debate. And it's not always video. It's not it can't just come from a place of you need to do this, you know, like there's, there's plenty of ways to do things. And sometimes you learn from some of your players now, you know, and you're like, you might've saw something, but then they answer something back. I'm like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. And now you've created a dialogue and a problem solving method for them to see things clear or different. But, um, uh, I find as, as uh, the more development you can get, with your players is when you able to convince them or they can convince you, you know, that this is the right way to do it. You can't just tell them do it like that. You know, like I'll send, like I'll be, we'll, we'll be talking about a topic at a certain point in time and, and development doesn't happen like, you know, in one, one time, you know, I always feel it's like pulling, like peeling layers, like an onion, you know, you can't, You know, you do it gradually. You can't teach them three, four things at once. You know, you teach them one concept, then you move on to the next one. But uh, if there's a concept that we're talking about, I'll pull NHL clips or college clips, and I'll send it to the gang, and I'm like, guys, is what I'm talking about. You know, then you slowly convince them, and then they become more confident in that concept Uh, because they've actually done it, they've seen it, and they can kind of feel it. So... That's pretty much the angle I I take.
1: That's wonderful. And I think getting kids to start asking questions is something that uh, some kids are really good with, and some kids really struggle at asking questions.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think some kids care more about actually getting better than others. I think some kids they just I think kids some kids like, yeah, they say they love hockey. Okay, it's one thing loving, getting hockey loving hockey and stuff, but do they actually like Working at getting better, I just like because you can do a thousand reps, you know. You can do a thousand of the wrong reps. You're working hard, you know. But like, are you actually getting better doing those thousand reps? You know. And you have the kids that are gonna ask question. Well, what if I do it this way? Yeah, that's great, you know. But then they they take ownership into their development, and that's what as they get older, that's what I'm after. I I actually encourage the kids to they have my you know we have a, a text chain with the team I have individual chain with the with the guys and they can send me sometime because what I usually do is I, I I videotape my my computer screen and I talk over it with a pen you know and I'm like okay and then now they 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 can do the same thing to me they have the video of the game and they're 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 taping the the video and it's not like crystal clear but it's definitely clear enough especially in today's technology and they asked me question, coach, what did I should have done? Was that okay? Like, did I, you know, and sometimes they're just, you know, they they're looking for perfection. And, and I'm like, guys, I, I I've never played a perfect game. Every game, you're going to have three, four, five plays that you want back. They're gone. You learn from them, you move on, you know, and there's so many factors that come into, into, you know, a bad read or whatever, you know, could be, your play your 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 you, your your line mate didn't do the right thing and you, and it and it, you you got stuck cuz of it but sometimes they just look at themselves they don't look at the whole picture so i definitely don't want them to think they got to play a perfect game i want them to learn from their mistakes to me a bad read is better than a no read you know if people are just not reading the game that's not as good as you know i rather you make a bad read than not read at all
2: yeah, I, I like to tell my kids that it's a game of mistakes. We just have to make one less than they do. I don't want you to, you know, pick your favorite kid here or anything, but you have coached at a bunch of different ages. So I'm curious, you know, like what um, maybe what age do you find to be the most rewarding? What age do you find the most development happens? Like, is there a favorite age that you've coached or, or one that sticks out? Or
3: oh, I think they're all fun. I mean, I definitely enjoy the older boys better. I think you can really – dissect the game a little more you know I think when they're like 10 12 they're too young to you know to to, you can't teach a 12 year old you know calculus you know like there's a time and place for everything and I definitely enjoy the more complex problems at an older age than you know the 10 12 phase but that phase is important you know, and like I say, I think at that age, you're still, we're still creating conflict, but we're still in that window of skill acquisition where, you know, we don't worry so much about, you know, the structure and, uh, you know, and as I feel it when they get older, you know, like you get a little bit, a little bit of structure in there and, you know, they, they start realizing, wow, like this is a game. We play with five. You know, it's not just me. I gotta go put the puck in the net. You know, and you know, uh, it's fun that you get you get face off plays and some power play routes and this and that. It's just uh, you you get to you get to elevate the the thought process a little bit and the preparation too. Uh, You know, you go from the kids playing you know mini sticks in the hallway at the hotels to you know to the kids uh, you know hanging out in the lobby uh, on their phone or you're not worrying about uh, if they're going to uh, uh, break a lamp in the, in the hallway or or they're going to get yelled at by hotel security. So I definitely like the older age a little bit better, less babysitting, I guess.
1: Oh, uh, That's too funny. Yeah. I, I think we've all been there at some stage where we've uh, broken something and the hotel security gets called and our parents are all upset at us. So that's, that's great. But uh, you, you've mentioned a few times about routes. So, I've, I've talked about it and how we can create ways to have longer passing windows and things like that. What, what are routes for you? What do they mean and why are they important?
3: To me, routes are important in a sense that if you run routes in between coverage, you're going to create confusion and you're going to create space because of the confusion could be an initial zone on the breakout. So the routes are important. There's certain guidelines of where your route should be, you know, but, to me that's it's similar but it's never the same all the time it depends where the defenseman where who's on me like but i feel like the way the game should be played is played you know you got to use the, the 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 width of the rink and you're able to use the width of the rink because of some of the routes that you run in front of it you know so if you go north Uh, splitting the D you create space underneath you, you can go East, West. So I think the routes are a big part. And sometimes you run a route as a decoy, you know, it's like football, you know, wide receiver going deep. And then the tight end comes on a slant, you know, like it's like, it's, it's very similar to that in the sense, but it happens. It's not as clear cut, you know, you, you know, so for me, it's about covering ice if two guys can hold hands running the same routes you're probably not going to be successful you know if somebody's running a a route you know north south then i probably need to to get some width into my route underneath him so i can create more space and more option for the puck carrier and i find i like when they're young like even now i mean i i almost teach hockey like 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 rugby a little bit we're going to go as up as far as we can if we don't like it you know we're not dumping pucks at that age we're gonna we're gonna hinge we're gonna tight turn hit our d and reroute ourselves we're gonna possess you know as you get older it's a little harder to do that but the best players manage to do it and when they get to a certain age where scouts are looking at them and colleges whatever like they're looking at the players that can possess and make plays under pressure, not guys that are just going to whack it off the glass and get it deep. There's times to chip pucks and stuff, but you want to allow your players to find something better than that. You know, it's not as simple at a young age to, to explain that, you know, that, you know, you need to, to push, you need to be a decoy here and push people back so we can create some width in our game. Uh, but as they get older, they get the concept of like just creating space for your buddy. If they're sleeping, then they might be coming to you down the pipe, and you got a breakaway. And if you, if it's not a tape to tape, but it gets tipped a little bit, you're on top of it on the forecheck because you have a lot of momentum and speed. So I hate guys being flat-footed. I like guys in motion. Uh, even you know the, the after after the deep moves a puck up the ice, like job's not over. We might come back to you. Like you, you gotta be a part of the equation, you know, and to me like hockey is a math equation and the equation changes constantly, you know, and you have to process and solve the equation. And, you know, we want to go forward, but we might have to go forward, bring it back and go forward again before we actually like enter. I don't know. I mean, there's no set plays, maybe on the power play, you know, there's tendencies and, where, you know, you can prepare yourself for, but in general, you, there's a lot of ad-libbing a little bit and just feeling it and just make sure that you're not duplicating jobs, that you're covering ice.
2: Right. Yeah. That's really well said. Uh, is there, is there a player or maybe players that you find yourself really enjoying watching today when you send out video or, or just personally, is there somebody that you really identify with?
3: I mean, there's a lot of guys that, you know, you look at a McDavid, right? I McDavid is so McDavid's playing checker, so fast it's quick, bang, 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 you know. Like then you look like a Kucherov, who's just playing chess. And so I I, I like both players, like you know, um, they're they all have their strength. They're they're elite and not it'd be nice for anybody that you coach that they, they, they take some of both players attributes, you know, but it's, it's really, it's hard to be those guys. Like there's, you know, there's not many, but uh, you know, the decision-making of Cooch and uh, the sucking guys in and playing in between coverage is, uh, is really impressive.
1: So the game is obviously way different than when you started. And it's exactly talking about with having to draw guys in and play between coverages with, with the state of the game today, is there anything that you really are pleased about and are there areas where you think that we need to get better or the rules need to get better or anything like that? i uh, not really.
3: I mean, I think, I think it's just as, as, as elite of a game as it's ever been. And I actually felt like I, I, I played in the old school, but I also played in the new school. And it was a lot more fun. A lot more fun to play in the new school of hockey. You know the no hook and hold, and I mean, who would have thought that you can bring a puck back? Like now you have drop breakouts on the power play. Like I mean, when I came in the league, you gained the red red and you rimmed it, and everybody was flooding that area. That was a breakout. You know now you have two guys coming back, and you have the D that that skates fast then all of a sudden he skates backwards and he bumps it back to two forwards flying and it's just a a, a game now where it's not as safe in terms of you know defense first I think I think it's a five make. Like everybody's on offense everybody's on defense which it's a lot more fun to play I mean the the d that activates in the ozone I was watching um I was watching Tampa last night, and how they just—they're just, they're D. They're just—I mean—they activate in the ozone. They don't—they not only activate, they get down below the top of the circle, below below the bottom of the circle, and they might stay in there. They might stay in there and go back door. They don't just like play and then oh, I got to get back to D. No, they trust that the forward will assume the position because now if they just like screw this, I'm going back to D now. By the time the forward goes in, it's too late. His guy didn't have enough support to continue the offense. You know, so you see the good teams like their D activate, but they just keep playing and they stay in there and they work themselves back out eventually. But I mean, back in the day, like the if the D was on the rush, like you're, there was not much activation in in, in in the offensive zone. If they were on in on the rush, they were in and out. Now they go in and they sometimes they hover in there,
2: you know. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where it's true positionless hockey or is that too big a stretch?
1: I
3: think we're almost there. I
2: don't
3: yeah. think we're, I don't think we'll ever get there, but I think like I mean, we're almost there.
1: It's exciting stuff. And I, I like to move my players around as much as possible um, with the college team we had it's a club team. So it's not like division one, super high level, but it's still good hockey. And we just roll five man units out the door and, and, everyone figured out of where you're playing and working off each other. And, and at first it's, it was really, really rough to watch, but the more they've played it, the better it's gotten. And it, it's, it is so enjoyable to watch that team. I I could watch a club hockey game with our our boys over a lot of other teams that are playing higher level hockey.
3: Yeah. But, you know, and if you think about it, like my old, like, you know, when I talk about being in between coverage back in the old days, right. The, the forward was responsible for the D in the, you know, in my defensive zone. And so if I knew I had the D in front of me and the guy rolls up the wall, and I just stay with my D like, and the D's weren't really going in. That was hard to generate offense. It was easy for me to defend, but not all of a sudden he starts rolling in. Now I'm like, Oh my gosh. So he gets away from coverage. So now he creates confusion and with confusion, you'll create more scoring chance or draw penalties. And, and it's just, Plain simple. I mean, if you're if you're wide open at the top, you're gonna get the puck and then you have space to do whatever you want. But if they're tight on you, why stay there? If my winger has space on the wall and he's rolling up, why stay there if I'm in coverage? Roll out, dive in the middle. You know, dive in the middle. Like now he's like, is he coming with me? Are they men on men? Are they playing are they playing zone? I don't know. Because now you create so much confusion, and that's annoying to play against. Yeah, is there a risk? Absolutely, there's a risk. You know, but you know, it's it's a calculated risk. I mean, you would think that the puck is still 180, 195 feet from my net, and you know, and especially the way the goalies are in today's game, they're so good. Like, like you know, I'm I'm, I'm willing to to risk maybe something bad happening, and that's not the D's fault that he went in. It's the guy that just made a bad execution or a bad read, you know. And if there's nothing open, you just throw it back down the wall. But you have people going that way.
1: Yeah, and you're just kind of playing the probabilities and, yeah. and what's good on the situation. Like like you said earlier, it's almost like a math equation. That's how hmm. I think about it when I'm out there. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. But like, what's a chance of success here? And if I screw it up, you know, what's the probability it's coming back in creating yeah, and creating for our guess team?
3: What? And if they score, line up.
1: <laughs> That's it. Go back and get it again.
3: Yeah. Right. Face off that. Go tap your goalies pad. And go That's back. what they're there
2: for, right? That's what the yeah. goalies are there for. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Curious, really, like a lot's changed since you were at UVM. What was the recruitment of your oldest son like compared to you? He's committed to Northeastern. Um, yeah. And maybe just like talk about that process now being on the other side of it.
3: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't remember much about mine. I think I was 16, 17, had a bunch of school, and I ended up going to Vermont. Uh, I was close to home. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot different now. They, they come – well, they made a new rule now. You, it's, uh, I think, January 1st of your junior year, they can talk to you. And, and with my oldest boy, there was no rules. So, you know, he had – opportunity at a real young age and honestly I just sent him and my wife to go deal with that it wasn't going to be my decision and she's going to ask all the academics questions I want it to be about him not you know about me being in there and stuff so he went and dealt with it he made his own decision and he's I was happy with his decision and he's the one that you know that lives with it you don't want to at the end of the day they're going to have a bad game bad grade bad day and if it was forced on them, they might not roll up their sleeves and, and and get themselves, dig themselves out of the hole. But if it's them making the decision, they'll they'll you know they'll own it and they'll get after it.
1: That's wonderful. Well, I really enjoyed your USA hockey presentation. We'll put a link in, in the details here. And and you said something that really struck with me, and it's something that I've struggled with a lot of my players of just not really playmaking until they've run out of options and they're not looking forward to So I'm I'm hoping you can dive into that a little bit of just the idea of not waiting until the last opportunity to make a play or like, that's the play now that I've run out of all my options.
3: I call it the Instagram hockey, you know, every kid uh, see highlights and so many highlights and they almost think that's the way the game should be played. Hockey is not just highlights. There's a lot of layers into the game that creates a highlight. And sometimes, you know, there's an opportunity to get a highlight goal. But I bet you something was created before that. It's about letting the play evolve a little bit. You know, the the biggest thing is is, especially at a young age, they don't realize that the game is played without the puck. You know, I mean, I played 20-something minutes a game in the NHL. I probably had the puck on my stick for, I don't know, a minute 20, you know. I'm lucky. I don't know. Not not much. Under two minutes for sure. So for 90% of the game, I don't have the puck. So you need to know how to play without it, you know. And that's covering ice, not duplicating job. And then the, the kid that has the puck, don't start playing once you get it. I understand because it might be on and off your stick. I don't know what it's going to be. But you got to process so much information before it touch your stick. Just on breakout alone. Your D rounds in that. You're on the left wing, let's say. And if you're just looking at the D, is he passing to me? Okay, now he passed to you. And now you start playing. Guess what? It's too late. Did you measure the amount of speed or space your center had? Did you measure if the weak side D was part of it? Did you measure? Did you assess if you're going to get pinched? Are you rolling into it? Are you chipping it? I don't know what you're doing. But the game is, starts well before you actually touch it. And that's how the best players are able to, to create so much because they already know where they're going with it, whether they, they, they cross over to the middle with it, whether it's a one touch, whether it's a bump back, whether it's a one timer whether it's just to collect and protect guys are going for a change. I don't know, but the game starts well before you actually touch it. And, you know, that's playing in the future. You know, some kids play in the present and then they get stuck, especially as they get older.
1: Awesome. Well, Marty, this has been a ton of fun. I think we've all really enjoyed this. I hope you have as well. Um, but we we let our guests, two minutes, if you want to talk or plug anything you got going on in your life, feel free to do that or just some wise words of wisdom, you can do that as well.
3: No, I don't have anything to plug. I mean, I I think my, my, my biggest word of advice, I guess, for every young players out there is, especially with social media and everybody, you know, this guy doing this, this guy doing that. And, you know, it's don't get discouraged if you're not, you know, that guy to me that that's just noise Uh, development happens at a a different time for different people you know just really you know be good at getting better and you'll get probably where you want to be but you know if you're just listening to the noise and get discouraged uh, that's time wasted that you could actually be doing something productive and, and 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 get better at whatever you're doing
2: sure and last one for me and thanks so much for your time we really appreciate it any advice for uh youth coaches out there
3: i don't know i mean honestly to me it's don't fall in love with the obvious the kids that is really fast and he's 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 probably winning you games now make sure that you help him develop at things that he's going to need three four years from now don't just get stuck on winning the game now and because he can go through everybody, he's faster than everybody. You know, if he's got a guy that's 15 feet in front of him, he should move it to him. You know, there, there's time to carry, but you want to make sure you wire him the right way. Because somebody's going to take that kid at 15, 16, let's say, and now you're doing a renovation. And a renovation is a lot harder because there's walls you just can't move. So. You know, if you, have a, if you have a chance to build from the ground, make sure you build the right way. You know, allow your kids to make mistakes and and really uh, take time to focus on decision-making and, and and conflicts. And that to me, that's a lot of small area games. Shrink it as small as you can, depending how big, you know, how old the, car, the kids are. Like for me with my U15, I don't even play blue line in. That's too much room. Three on three, I don't play blue line in. It's too much room. I go top of the circle down, you know, when they were eight, 10, maybe we went blue line in because now they had a little bit more time, but as they get older, you got to keep shrinking that decision. making, that, that, that window, that time, you know, cause now they have more skill. They have more, their edges are better. Their, their speed is better. Their hands are better. So they don't need as much time. And so you need to shrink it. So you, you handicap them as much as possible.
1: I love that I uh, yeah I'm, I'm all about that on, on my teams is try to how, how do we get the decision making I want them to break break a mental sweat not just a physical one
3: yeah and to me it's fun my, my biggest uh, pleasure I get is you know I, I mean I've been with some of these kids for five six years and you have kids I always thought you know the brain was there the computer was there and they didn't have the ability to do what their computer was telling them. They weren't fast enough. They didn't have, they weren't strong enough, their skill wasn't as developed yet. And now you fast forward to four or five years. And some of these players are some of my best players because now it's connected. Now they can do what their brain's telling them. And they take a huge jump in their in their in in, in, in their growth when that happens. So you gotta stay patient with some of these guys. Because computer is really hard to develop. Some kids uh, have it, some kids don't. Some kids are able to, to, to work on it. Some kids can't Sometimes that's that stubbornness or it's just bad coaching.
2: That's awesome. Well, listen, thanks again so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and, and insight. It's extremely valuable for us and hopefully for our listeners as well. So really
1: appreciate you coming on.
3: Thanks for having me guys. All the best.
1: Thank you for tuning into the hockey IQ podcast. We are hockey's arsenal. Greg Revac and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand our hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, We're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So, you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at Uh, Hockey'sArsenal.com. From there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us we're excited to continue this if you enjoyed this episode please like subscribe follow and share Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well where we're going to tackle anything hockey iq related so we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build
0: that concludes this week's episode Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockey'sarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you, Buttes, here next week for a brand new episode.